Hello you guys, it's Katie, and welcome back to the final episode of Crime and Crochet. In this finale of the podcast, I'm going to be covering the case of the Dardine family murders. Both the parents went by their middle names, so that was Keith and Eileen, and they lived in Ina, Illinois. The couple also has a two-year-old son named Peter, and in 1986, they move into a trailer after Keith completes job training for a job that he takes at the Wren Lake Water Conservatory, and Eileen finds a job at an office supply store, and they are renting this trailer, And in 1987, the next year, she finds out she's pregnant with their second child that they plan to either name Ian or Casey, depending on whether it is a boy or a girl. They also decided to put their home on the market at this time. I'm assuming their small trailer probably wouldn't be enough room for two kids and two parents. Plus, Keith actually told his mother at the time that they regretted moving because the area that they were now living in was really violent and they actually had 15 homicides within two years, which kind of sounds like a lot, but especially, I believe it's a smaller town, so especially for a smaller town, I think that is a lot. And basically they wanted to move back to Mount Vernon where he lived as a kid and where his parents still are. On November 18th of this same year is when people start to notice something is wrong with the family. So Keith was supposed to be at his shift at the treatment plant that day and he did not show up and he did not call beforehand, nothing like that. And all of his calls went unanswered for the whole day. And I'm guessing this was out of character for him since it worried his supervisor enough that he actually called both of his parents and his parents had no idea what could have been happening with their son and his family. So they called the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office and Keith's father agreed to drive to their home with a house key that he had to meet them there so that they could do basically like a wellness check on the family. So the next information that I'm sharing with you guys is how the bodies were discovered and this is pretty gory so if this is going to bother you guys I would go ahead and click off but I am going to get into the details because I think it is kind of important. So the officers and Keith's father when they go into the home they find Elaine, Peter, and a newborn baby girl all in the bed. Now, Elaine had been bound and gagged with duct tape, and Elaine and her son Peter, the two-year-old, had both been beaten to death with a bat that was found at the scene and apparently was a birthday gift for Peter that was given to him by his father earlier that year. Elaine was beaten so severely that she had gone into labor and delivered the baby girl, who ended up meeting the same fate as her mother and brother. So, 
again, that's why I gave you guys a disclaimer, because that is really, really gruesome, the fact that she went into labor during it, and then the baby also lost its life is terrible, like, terrible is the only word I have for that, but, of course, that is only three of the family members, and the fourth family member, Keith, was nowhere to be found, so the officers on the scene pretty much assume that he killed his family and is now on the run, so they send other officers to his mother's home, because his parents are divorced, so they send them to his mother's home to see if she either knows anything or if he is there. Now, the search for him ended when they actually found his body not too far from the family's trailer, and he had three gunshot wounds, as well as his penis was severed, which you guys, that is so gross, but they also found the car parked outside of the police station in Benton, which was 11 miles away. So at this point, I'm assuming the investigators are realizing he obviously can't shoot himself in the head three times, and if he was going to kill himself, why would he sever his own penis? You know, that just doesn't add up. And also, how did the car get there after everyone in the family has been killed, and there was a lot of blood spatter in the interior of the car. So at this point, I'm sure investigators are obviously not thinking he did this to himself. Now, obviously, it's at this point still up for debate if whether he killed his own family or somebody else killed his own family and him, which I would think would be more likely, but who really knows what they're thinking at this point. As the case progresses, the investigators aren't telling anybody much on the actual facts of the case. So the reporters and news outlets come out with information that is false and this causes a lot of theories and rumors in general and people are spreading all kinds of misinformation on this case right after it happened but I'm just going to stick to all of the actual correct information throughout this case, but just know there is a very deep rabbit hole you could go down of all of the conspiracy theories that went around at the time on what actually happened to the victims and all of that kind of stuff. So one of the first things that they're going to look at in a case like this is if there's any enemies of the family, anybody that would have any sort of motive to do something like this, and it was noted that there was a little bit of weed found inside the trailer when the bodies and everything else was found. So the idea of them maybe dealing drugs was ruled out because only that little tiny bit of weed would not have been them selling or dealing to anybody. So they didn't have enemies through that. And actually... They noted that the autopsy reports showed that there were no drugs or alcohol in the system of any of the family members, so investigators actually thought that maybe the little bag of weed was left by the killers or killer. The serial killer Tommy Lynn Sales does confess to the murders of the family while he's already in prison for his other murders. Now, this is still, to this day, not really confirmed. He did die in 2014, so there's 
you know, obviously no asking him anymore. But when he did confess, he said he didn't really remember much of the details. But what he did confess to seemed to be a little bit out there. But he was also known for exaggerating his crimes when he did confess. So it is kind of still up for debate to this day. He was never charged for the crimes, but he was already in prison for his other killings. And there was evidence that he was in the area at the time. So I'm not exactly sure what to believe in this case, whether he actually did kill this family. And it was theorized that their trailer was really close off the highway and he would target victims that were close off the highway. So it was theorized that maybe he did kill this family because of the convenience of where their trailer was located. I'm not exactly sure, again, what to believe in this case. And there is, again, a huge rabbit hole you can go down with all of the information about his confession as well as information on other killers they looked into. There was another killer that they thought could have possibly killed the family, another serial killer. So there's like so much that we could unpack, but for time's sake, I'm just going to leave it as it is, which is Tommy Lynn Sales did confess to the murders, but it still isn't known to this day whether he was the actual culprit or not and he was never charged for the crimes. Now, what I will tell you guys is investigators and even the grandmother of the children and Keith's mother did seem to believe him when he did confess, so I'm guessing that his confession was compelling enough. The parts that he did say he remembered was compelling enough for them to believe that he was the actual killer, but years later, Keith's mother did come out and say that she didn't believe him anymore and she had other ideas of who she thought it could have been so again I am not sure and nobody is sure because there was never any trial or any prosecution or anything like that other than just his confession that's the only thing we have in this case to link him to that crime. But you guys, that is it for this case, and this is the last episode of Crime and Crochet. So instead of giving you a crochet pattern that I am featuring for this week, I just want to first off say again, thank you guys so, so much for listening. Whether this is the only episode you've listened to ever of the podcast, or if you've listened to every single one if you've left a review, if you've followed me on social media, any of that kind of stuff, just thank you, thank you, thank you so much. As far as where you guys can see me in the future, I am Katie Being Creative Everywhere. As all one word, Katie is K-A-T-I-E, and Being Creative as, again, all one word. I do have a ton of crochet patterns that are free and for purchase, on Etsy, on Ribbler, and on my site, which is katiebeingcreative.app, if you want to find crochet patterns. I'm also on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, pretty much all of the social media platforms, 
if you do want crochet content from me. And in general, if you do just want to see more from me, again, it is Katie being creative as all one word everywhere. So that is all, you guys. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And with that, I hope you guys have enjoyed Crime and Crochet in general. And make sure y'all are staying safe out there so you don't end up being one of these victims we have talked about in each episode. Goodbye, y'all.